Again, welcome to, to all. Thank, to, thank you to all our visitors who have come our way. We appreciate you uh, being here. I hope that you will find in this, this congregation a church that is standing for the truth and that is following by the New Testament pattern for the churches that God has given for us. Thank you for being here. I want to talk this morning about doing the right thing. And not just doing the right thing or other things we'll talk about, but doing it anyway. I will, full disclosure, um, I have a lot of material from Brother Bob Waldron, who some of you might know is a gospel preacher and very faithful man, has been for many years and has a wealth of information and materials out there. And I came across uh, this study that he had on uh, doing the right thing anyway, and I borrowed from it liberally, I'll go ahead and tell you. Um, but I, it was so good, I wanted to share some of the thoughts and, uh, of course, um, my ideas uh, as far as the, the, the approach here as well. I'll encourage you to, to read along in, in your Bible. I will say there's a lot of scriptures, so I have put them up on, on the slide, so if you'd like to follow along that way, I'd encourage you to, to pay attention that way as well. But, I, again, I came across this and, and, and wanted to share it with you because... It's, it's a very application kind of lesson and, and, and thinking about doing the right thing because that's what God has asked us to do. I just read there from, from 2 Corinthians with Paul and uh, he had asked God to, to remove this thorn from his flesh and God said no. And then Paul goes on to say that I am well content with weakness and insults and distress, persecution, difficulties for Christ's sake. Paul was a man who went about doing the right thing. In the face of, the, of all the adversity uh, that came his way, he still did the right thing, and he serves as a good example to us. We'll look at another example from him later, but doing the right thing and doing it anyway, and that's what we're really kind of focused on. And we'll start this way and understanding some of these things. You know, people are hard to deal with. There's all sorts of personalities out there, all sorts of manner of people that we run into, and a lot of them are just really, really difficult to deal with. But you know what? We need to love them anyway. We don't need to do the common mistake that, that I have done. I'm guilty of this as well, and I'm sure lots of you are. We don't need to seek out the deserving people, right? We don't need to, to prejudge people and think, well, this person is deserving of my time and my energies and, and my telling them about the gospel. We, we don't need to do that. We need to realize that we're all flawed individuals. So while we say, well, people are difficult and hard to deal with, someone out there is saying that about me. You know, so we're all flawed individuals. So we ought to just love each other um, in any way. We can look at an example of how God loves us. In Romans 5 and verse 8, God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So if you want an ultimate example of, of this, of undeserving people, look at what God, look what Jesus did for us. While we were yet sinners, Jesus died for us. So that really puts things in perspective, doesn't it? Another thing to think about in this is that Sometimes um, love means the correction or the rebuke of a brother or sister. Sometimes love takes on that form. 
I'm reminded of Proverbs 27, uh, verses 5 and 6. It says, Better is an open rebuke than love that is concealed. Faithful are the, wo- are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. You know, love uh, for, for each other, love of our brethren, sometimes means we have to go to them in, 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 in correction and in rebuke. And that's okay. Because in, in proverbial terms, um, better is an open rebuke than love is concealed. I'm better off uh, opening, openly correcting someone than withholding my love. And wounds of a friend um, are better for me than uh, someone who would just gloss over things and pretend like there's nothing wrong. So we're all flawed individuals. We all need to be loved by one another. So even when it's difficult to deal with people, we got to love them anyway and give them the best that we can. Do the best that we can for each other. Do the best that we can for those in the world. And don't seek out the deserving people. Don't withhold your love and your, and your kindness because you might think that person's not deserving of that. Be like that parable of the sower. Sow the seed. Do what you're supposed to do. Do your job. Let the rest fall where it may. And let what comes of it come what may. Another thing we might think, well, you know, I'm tired of doing good things while no one else in the world is. I'm the only one. I'm like Elijah. I'm the only one left. I'm tired of doing the good things, and those around me are are just not. Well, we got to do good anyway. And sometimes in this, our reward is often delayed. In Galatians 9 and verse 10, familiar verses here for us, let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially those who are of the household of faith. This goes pretty close to what we're talking about last slide there about loving uh, one another. And Paul tells us that don't lose heart in doing it because of the very idea that we're talking about here. You know, why am I struggling and still doing good? No one else seems to be doing it. That's why Paul writes this. Don't grow weary. Don't grow weary in doing that. But, you know, if you're, if you're doing it for, the, for immediate gratification and immediate reward, then you're doing it for the wrong reason. Because that's typically not going to happen. In due time, we will reap if we do not grow weary. This whole idea of sowing and reaping is, is spread throughout uh, throughout the Bible in the New Testament, where the idea is you, you do this at this time and then you wait. You put your seed in the ground in the, in the springtime and it's not until the fall that you harvest. So there's, there's time that needs to, uh, to, to be let happen. Don't be, don't be out looking for the immediate reward. Do the sowing. Do that and then in due time we'll reap. So our reward is often delayed, but we still need to do good anyway. Anyway. Um, and when we do that, we're, we set example to those around us when we do good things. There in 1 Peter 2 and verse 12, keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles. So in the thing that, in, in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. 
you know, we set an example to those around us. So we need to be doing good anyway. The world may not be doing good. Those around us, we see, why are they getting away with this and that, and why are they doing this? Do good anyway. Set the example. And, you know, when they slander you as evildoers um, because of the good things that you do, you know, there's a, there's a chance that they might come to know God. There's a chance that they might turn. There's a chance that because they see what you have done and what you are doing, that they might follow after God too. So do good anyway. Set a good example. And uh, men may hate you and they may turn their back on you, but God never will. Luke 6, verse 22 and 23, Blessed are you when men hate you and ostracize you and insult you and scorn your name as evil for the sake of the Son of Man. Be glad in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for in the same way your fathers used to treat the prophets. It's nothing new. Think about days of old and how, uh, how the prophets were treated and how... Uh, even in the New Testament, we see those who were treated bad. I think about, about Stephen, how he's convicted the, the Jews of their sin. And what do they do? They stoned him to death. Doing good brings about that, that idea of convicting people of their sin, and they don't like that. So men, they hate you, they turn their backs on you, but you've got to keep doing, keep doing good anyway. Well, you know, I'd like to do the right thing, but doing the right thing will cost me. You know, there, there's, a, there, there's a cost to me in my, in my life, in my finances, in my relationships. By just doing the right thing, that, that's going to cost me. Well, God wants us to, to do the right thing anyway. And one of these things uh, uh, that we need to do in this category and this is a hard thing to do, is that we need to admit when we're wrong. You know, this is, uh, sometimes this right thing to do is very difficult. Hard for us to admit when we're wrong. We don't like to be wrong. We don't like to be uh, convicted of our own uh, shortcomings. But it's important in our growth as a, as a Christian and as, as a child of God to, to admit when we're wrong. Paul did this in 1 Timothy uh, 1, Beginning in verse 12, it says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service. Even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor, yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. The grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. But it is a trustworthy statement deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners among whom I am foremost of all. Like Paul, right? Are you any worse than Paul? Paul admitted when he was wrong, he took that on and, and said, you know what, I was wrong. But because of that, because of Paul's willingness to, to embrace that and learn from his mistakes, he was able to move forward. And he says, strengthen me, Christ the Lord has strengthened me and considered me faithful, putting me into service. If we're holding back, if, we're, uh, if we refuse to admit that we're wrong, then we're, we're compromising the service that we could be providing in the kingdom. Admit when we're wrong. That's the right thing to do. 
so often in the world, the world wants to blur the lines between right and wrong and give degrees of right and wrong. We'd be better served to look at it as a black and white issue. Is this right? Then I'm on the side of right. Is this wrong? I'm not on that side. And you know what? In the past, I was on the wrong side, and I was wrong for that. Now I'm on the right side. That's what Paul's attitude was like. He says, I commit, consider those things behind me as rubbish. He talks about that in Galatians. How Those things behind me, that's just that's garbage. I press on. Let's have that kind of attitude ourselves. Here's one that kind of crosses over into uh, some, <laughs> some worldly thinking, if you will, about doing the right thing even when no one is looking. You've probably heard that before. Um, and that's an idea that, that is, is well taken. I, I thought about the, the word integrity. You know, what, integrity is that within us, that, that attitude, that characteristic that we have within us where we do the right thing even when no one's looking. In Proverbs 11, verse 13, the integrity of the upright will guide them, but the crookedness of the treacherous will destroy them. You know, it's one thing to, in the eyes of man or when you're on stage, to do, the, to do the right thing, but it's another thing to do the right thing when no one's looking. This is why I say it kind of crosses over into the worldliness, because this is where it falls short, because there's always someone looking. God's always looking. He knows. So if we think we can uh, um, be like Jonah and outrun God, Think again. Know that he is watching. And know that he wants us to do the right thing all the time. But know this, that the world hates those who do the right thing, just like we talked about in the last time. The world's going to hate those who do the right thing. And again, for all the reasons that we've talked about. Uh, in John 15, beginning of verse 18, it says, If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. And this is so important in understanding this, that, that Jesus has, has blazed the, the, the path before us in so many ways, and even in this way. Saying, if the world hates you, you know what? They hated me first. Verse 19, if you are of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. So don't think that Jesus was, is uh, immune from this. He, he's gone on before us. He says they, they hated me first. So in a way, we can take comfort in that. If we're doing the right thing, if we're... Uh, Admitting when we're wrong, we're doing the right thing all the time, showing that sense of integrity, uh, then we're following after Jesus. And if people around us are hating us, guess what? Maybe we're on to something. Maybe we are doing the right thing. So keep doing it. Keep doing the right thing. You know, we set about to accomplish things in our in our lives. Some of us have an overinflated sense of that and want to uh, publish novels and uh, all sorts of things that we might want to do. 
And those ambitions are good. They need to be reined in the proper, in the proper way. But it's okay to, to have a, accomplishments and goals and, and, and things out there that we want to do. It drives us forward. And that's okay in the right perspective. But sometimes that we might think, well, you know, I might do all this and, and none of my accomplishments are going to mean anything. Well, accomplish them anyway. And especially when we're talking about laboring in the kingdom. You know, we might think that, well, what, you know, what, what does it matter if I come and clean the building for a month, one time out of the year? It doesn't really amount to anything. Well, it really does. There's lots of things to be done in the kingdom, and they matter. And just because we might think that they're small and, and don't really mean anything, we need to accomplish those things anyway. We need to set goals. We need to accomplish them. And like I said, especially when it comes to the kingdom. But then we say, well, why do we bother? I mean, this is, you know, it's all fleeting. We're just passing through this world. We talked about in our Bible classes. These bodies that we live in, they're just tents. They're temporary. We're just dwelling here for a little while. But still, there's work to be done, isn't there? God expects us to be working while we're in these bodies. There's things to do. There's lots of work to be done. It reminded me of John 4, verse 35 and 36. Do you you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields. They are white for the harvest. You know, the idea there is, yeah, I, I got time. There's still four more months for the harvest in this analogy here. I don't need to do anything right now. Jesus says, look around you. Fields are white for the harvest. They're ready to be harvested. The work is is there right in front of you. Already he who reaps is receiving wages, and he is gathering fruit for eternal life, so that he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. Now, in this, he's talking about the timing of things, and he's mentioning about, you know, those coming along and 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 benefiting from the work of others before them, and how that can that can can cause jealousy. But it's also talking about the idea of, of all this going on at once. There are babes in Christ. There are babes in life. There are older of us along in life, and even older along in life. And we're all moving uh, together. Some are sowing, but some are reaping. But the work is to be done, and that's, I think, can cause us to think, well, why am I doing this anyway? It's not going to mean anything. It does mean something. It does mean something when we implant in our children you know, the idea of serving God, of teaching them the Bible, of teaching them principles that will guide them in their life. The little things, those little examples, that all means something. And we need to be accomplishing them anyway, because they do mean something. But, you know, it's difficult sometimes when we feel like we're we're overshadowed by others who don't seem so deserving. You know, we, we work hard, we put a lot of effort into something, and uh, like maybe we're at work and we put a report together that's going to help our company grow, and then someone, your boss, comes along and takes credit for that report, and he gets a promotion, and everybody pats him on the back when that's all your work that's, that's in that report. This doesn't go escape the... Uh, the the, the seeing of, of Solomon in Ecclesiastes 9, verse 11. says, again, I saw under the sun that the race is not always to the swift and the battle is not to the warriors. 
And neither is bread to the wise, nor wealth to the discerning, nor favor to men of ability. You know, Solomon addressed this idea of, you know, I've, I've done the work, I've prepared, and then someone else comes along who, who's, is, it's not, he's not any faster than I am, but yet he won the race. Or, you know, the battle, he, he's not a, a, a better warrior than I am, but he won the battle anyway. That can cause jealousy. That can, can set us back and say, well, why do I want to do anything? Someone else is just going to come along and, and take the credit for it. Solomon there, for, for time and chance overtake them all. You know, we're not, even though we, we work hard and, and something might happen, there's still the, the, the things that we can't control out there, time and chance. But it doesn't, it shouldn't dissuade us from working hard anyway, from doing the right thing, from setting goals and accomplishing them, especially, again, when it comes to our work in the kingdom, raising up our children, being an example to the brethren, being an example to those uh, out in the world. They're worth pursuing. Um, think about it this way. We, we really need to work hard while we still can. While we have the abilities, while we have the faculties, while we have opportunities, we still need to be working hard, and what we can't do is get bogged down and worry about what we cannot control. It's good to set goals. It's good to, to compete in the race, but someone might come along and pass you. Still okay. Compete in the race. And I wanted to put this in here again from Ecclesiastes of Solomon. He thought about this, too, as he's writing. In Ecclesiastes 11, beginning of verse 1, it says, Cast your bread on the surface of the waters, for you will find it after many days. I've struggled with that verse for a long time. I studied, we studied Ecclesiastes when I got here early on in my uh, tenure here at, at Cortez. And we talked about this verse, I remember it, because, you know, what does that mean? Cast your bread on the surface of the waters. Well, in this context, it, it resonates with me a little bit about this. And especially if you think about verse 2, divide your portion to seven or even eight, for you do not know what misfortune may occur on the earth. The idea is to, is to put it out there. You know, if investors might look at verse 2 and say, diversify. You never know where this part of the economy might fall, but, but you're okay because you're in this part of the economy. It's kind of what this is talking about. You know, put it out there because what, of what he talks about next. He says, if the clouds are full and they pour out rain upon the earth, and whether a tree falls toward the south or toward the north, wherever the tree falls, there it is. There's lots of things that are out of our control. That's why it's good for us to, to be out there and to, to, to spread ourselves out, so to, so to speak, and to, and to put that bread out on the water, because you never know, when it, you know what winds or currents might bring it back to you. Divide your portion seven or even eight. You do not know what's going to happen. Put it out there. Because there are things that you can't control. Verse 4, he says, He who watches the wind will not sow, and he who looks at the clouds will not reap. You know, if we're sitting there waiting for the perfect day to, to sow the seed, that day might pass us by. And then if we're waiting for, uh, you know, the, the weather to be just right to go out and harvest the fields, they might rot there in the field and your harvest time may be over. Verse 5, just as you do not know the path of the wind and how bones are formed in the womb of a pregnant woman, so you do not know the activity of God who makes all things. Isn't that so true? Where, where does the wind come from? 
a lot of these things, you know, we can know a lot about things and our science keeps evolving and telling us things, but in the end, God's in control of these things. Let him be in control. Accept the things that come along. Accept what you can control and what you can't control. Verse 6, sow your seed in the morning. Do not be idle in the evening, for you do not know whether morning or evening sowing will succeed or whether both of them alike will be good. Do what you're supposed to do. When springtime comes, you plant, you sow the seed. When, when fall comes, you, you harvest what has grown from that seed. Everything in between is out of your control. Winds blow, the sun may shine or not, it may have a, a tornado or a hurricane. Or do what is within your control. And don't be, I have, I suffer from this, I'll go ahead and have some admission. I suffer from paralysis by analysis. Don't I? <laughs> I like to plan things out. I like to sketch things and make drawings and go this and make a list and do this. And meanwhile, the sun's going up and going down and going up and going down. I'm still planning. Meanwhile, Janae just goes out and does it. I suffer from that. <laughs> and this, this kind of speaks to me. You know what? Do it. Plan, yes. But don't get paralyzed by your plans. Do what's in your control and go out and do it. And let the things that are out of your control be out of your control. So what shall we do? Well, just in a few examples we looked at this morning, we need to love anyway. We need to do good anyway. We need to do the right thing anyway. And we need to accomplish our goals anyway. Things that are out of our control and things that run against doing the right thing or loving or, or doing good, we got to do those things anyway. God expects that of us. He's not going to listen to our excuses. He's heard them all. Do the right thing and do it anyway. In the face of adversity, in the face of everything, do the right thing. And where do we look then for the greatest example of doing the right thing in the face of adversity? When doing the right thing is not uh, what the current culture would do, is, is not what we would think absolutely Positively, it is the right thing to do. Rather, it's the, it's the silly thing to do. You do the right thing anyway. And you know who did that? Our Lord did that. Philippians 2, beginning in verse 5, a familiar passage to us, tells us about the attitude that Jesus had. And listen to this in, in context of what we talked about this morning. Have this attitude in yourselves which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking on the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, being, in found, being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Was it the right thing to do for... For the king, 
to suffer at the hands of men, to be put on a cross. In the eyes of the world, that's not, that wasn't the right thing to do. Why would you put your king on a cross and kill him? But in the eyes of God, that was the right thing to do. And that's what was done in the, at that moment. That was the right thing to do. And Jesus did it. For this reason also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. Talked about how God didn't forget the things that were done when you do right. Look what happened to Jesus. He did what was right all the time, and God highly exalted him. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, and those who are in heaven and on the earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's our ultimate example. That's our ultimate example of doing the right thing and doing the right thing anyway. Jesus faced adversity. He was... Uh, beset on all sides by the world. The world was closing in on him. His own brethren turned against him. They used the Roman government to put him to death. But he did the right thing. In Luke 9 and verse 51, um, it says, It came to pass when the time had come for him to be received up, Jesus steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. Think about that. As Jesus is making his way in his, in his ministry, there was a time where he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. He knew what was waiting for him there. He knew his trial, his conviction on false charges, him being scourged, humiliated, hung on a cross. He knew that was ahead of him, but he set his face in that direction to go to Jerusalem. He did the right thing anyway. Give the world the best you have, knowing that you might just get kicked in the teeth. And that's okay. Because if we're doing the right thing, if we're on the side of God, and doing the right thing anyway, we'll be rewarded. Just like our Lord was rewarded. Sat down at the right hand of God, highly exalted him, gave him a name above all names. And we've talked about this before. There's become a point where every one of us will confess who Jesus Christ is. Let's hope it's in this life where we can be, do something about it, confess that he is Lord and the, and the Son of God. And in that confession, there's a recognition of, of our life being led the wrong way and a recognition that we need to turn from that life and we need to uh, commit ourselves to following after our Lord. And then we're ready to be baptized. We're ready to render obedience to God in baptism and come up out of those waters to walk in newness of life. Let's hope that every one of us take that opportunity while we're still on this earth. Because after we're gone, we'll confess that Jesus is Lord. Everyone will. Let's just hope that we're in that, on that right hand of God. That we're there and we have committed our life before that to serving God because there won't be another chance when this life is over. Do the right thing and do it anyway.